0: Welcome to the On Texas Football Friday live stream. I'm Bobby Burton with Jerry Hamilton and Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com. As we get started here today, it should be a fun uh, afternoon, I hope. Uh, We've got a couple different things we're going to talk about. We've got a a visitor coming on campus that uh, Jerry Hamilton broke the story on Wednesday morning. He's got some more updated information on Warren Roberson, the defensive back out of Red Oak. Uh, Ian is going to talk a little bit about what was... uh, talked about in the humidor uh, earlier today on Inside Texas about Texas possibly uh, using uh, a four-two-five defense because of Jure Bledsoe and some other stuff that they've used in the past, but we'll go into that a little bit. Uh, and then also we're going to talk a little bit about Jalen Catalan as well as Gavin Holmes, the two transfers. And last but not least, we have our tr- weekly trivia challenge, uh, and I promise it is going to be a good one because I stumped my two guests with it uh, prior to that. Uh, and that will be for Last Stand Hats, uh, one of our, uh, our trivia challenge uh, sponsor. Uh, and you will get a free a free hat if you guess it right, if you're the first person to guess it right from Last Stand Hats. All right, I wanna say, first of all, thank you to our sponsor, Andy Ludeke. Uh If you are looking to diversify, you may be someone like me that has their hands in multiple businesses or projects. Well, Andy can help you diversify your businesses and find ones that will fit your time allotment and financial goals. Call him or email him to learn more. He's got a really cool process. I did it. Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Uh, we appreciate Andy. He's been a longtime sponsor of On Texas Football. Uh, let's start with Warren Roberson. Jerry, I'm going to go straight to you, bud. What's the latest on the safety out of Red Oak?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Um, he, I talked to him. I, I don't even know when I posted the little update, but it hadn't been that long ago. He told me he's coming in. He gets into Austin about 5.30 uh, this evening. It's just going to be him. Then a family member's coming down tomorrow. Uh, we got, we broke this in the recruiting part of the Humidor this morning. He was actually on campus at USC last weekend and on an unofficial. Everybody kept that hush-hush because Warren's not a big social media guy. Um, so that was kept really hush-hush. He'd already made an official visit to USC in June before he committed to TCU October 31st. Uh, Lincoln Riley was at Red Oak High School yesterday, Thursday. Um, Texas, uh, Sarkeesian was by January 17th. Him and Blake Gideon did it in home, I believe that evening. Arizona State was trying to get him on campus, was trying to get him to split the official visit weekend. Rashad Samples, Brian Carrington had been by there a couple of times. Uh, But Warren told me just about an hour ago, I guess it was, that it's just going to be Texas this weekend. He's headed down Friday. So that means Texas really does get the final word with the on-three consensus four-star safety. Uh, And look, a lot of people on Inside Texas have asked, well, is it a good take if Texas takes him? Uh, Seeing as there's really good DBs in 24, I'm a big Warren Roberson fan now. I love safeties with wide receiver ball skills, and I don't think Texas has enough of those guys that are six foot, 190, 195 pounds. Huge fan of Warren Roberson. I think he's a take in any class. I'm glad to see Texas made this move to get him on campus. Now we'll see if they can close him out. Uh, Texas has the number three recruiting class. Even if they get Warren Roberson, they would stay at the number three recruiting class. The only way Texas has a chance to finish two is if Deuce Robinson were to kind of shock people and not go to Georgia uh, and go to Texas on signing day, which we don't think is going to happen, but Texas is still giving it a go. Yeah, guys, get your questions in uh, here, uh, not only for uh, myself and Jerry, but also Ian
0: Boyd. Uh, Jerry, one more thing about uh, Warren Roberson. Uh, he is more of a safety, and he he also has a little pop to him. Now, he's committed to TCU, but USC is also in there as well. Is TCU oh, – yeah. I know he's committed to TCU, but are the
1: Horn Frogs even a factor right now in this recruitment? I think they're a factor. Look, the, the reason why I was told he did not sign with TCU – is TCU made? They got a three. I think three defensive backs the week of leading up to signing day, and, and I and I don't think Warren knew about all those guys that were going to be jumping in, uh, a couple of JUCO corners, another safety, and and I think he just kind of backed off that and said, "Hold on, now." Um, and that's not a kid that's scared of competition, but I just think it was like, "Okay, I didn't know this was going to happen," and so he backed off. Texas actually called uh, the Red Oak staff in mid December. Um, At that point in time, it looked like Warren was going to sign with uh, TCU. uh, or I guess it was around December 10th. It looked like he was going to sign with TCU. So Texas really didn't do anything with this until I think they heard, okay, it's not a lot that Warren's going to sign with TCU in February. So if that tells you anything, USC would not have worked to get him on campus for an unofficial, and Texas would not be bringing him in if both those schools thought this kid was signing with TCU next week. He might still, but – I think there's a great chance for Texas uh, to flip him this weekend. Uh, talking with Jerry Hamilton and
0: Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com. Uh, Ian, welcome back. You you had a couple weeks off. You were dealing with some uh, personal uh, matters, and I and, uh, hope everything's uh, going well in that regard. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, – I thought you wrote a really interesting article yesterday morning about Texas potentially going to a flyover type of defense, which is a 3-3-5, but in the humidor today – uh, Eric Naleen and uh, Justin Wells, as well as Jerry Hamilton, uh, putting out there. It sounds like Texas is going to stay in that four-two-five uh, 2 because we've heard a lot of positive remarks about not only Jeray Bledsoe and his development, but also Ethan Burke, uh, as well as Jamon Tapp. What, what is your take on where Texas is headed with this defense right now, Ian?
2: Well, they could actually do both. Um, I think probably this is not very well known but Gary Patterson had a flyover package at TCU. His was a little more of a three, two, six than a, than a three, three, five. The overhang player was a defensive back rather than a, than a linebacker. Texas used it. They used the Gary, they used a hybrid, a hybrid PK Gary Patterson version against Texas tech. And uh, it did not work very well. Uh, the players didn't look like they'd really mastered it. Some of the, some of the fits were a little bit off and then they just kind of scrapped it but if Gary Patterson is around I wouldn't be shocked if they went back to it he used it repeatedly against Oklahoma there was this weird trend or TCU would get down to Oklahoma big and then Gary Patterson would change and throw in his flyover deal and uh, gave Oklahoma fits he used it against the Air Raid teams so it it could work as a complement to the 425 that's how he used it um I don't know if Texas can do that and maintain their emphasis on the 3-4 that they've had. So um, I, it's just something I've had my eye on for a while. Uh, I think it jives fairly well with what P.K. likes to do. We know there's a guy in the staff room that has used it before, and um, it would really be a, a good way to make the most of Jalen Catalan because when he was all SEC in 2019, he was playing – a position that only exists in the flyover, which is that little safety spot.
0: Let me ask you this, and, and this has got me thinking as you talk about it, I do want to talk about Catalan, Gavin Holmes, the other transfer. But what was the change, fundamental change for you, uh, Ian, in what we saw versus, say, a Oklahoma State and a TCU game from the defense, Texas defensive perspective? What were the fundamental changes?
2: Hmm. I Well, one thing is against TCU, they didn't have like two or three starters go down. Um, that has to be factored in. They're playing at home rather than in Stillwater. I think that's kind of a significant factor as well. I would imagine that TCU got a lot of attention from them because it was such a big game. It wasn't the eighth Saturday in a row that they were playing like it was against Stillwater – Gary Patterson was probably pretty motivated to try to. So you,
0: so you didn't see anything fundamentally different or scheme-wise that said, "Hey, they're doing this," and they made a they made a change mid-season that that tweaked no. and ended up being better.
2: No, I think they were just you know healthier, better prepared, better atmosphere. I, I think those are the main factors, and not. Um...
0: Okay, <laughs> uh, you, you talk about you talk about uh, Jalen Catalan and uh, Gavin Holmes a little bit and what, they, what you think they're going to mean to this defense. You you talked about Catalan uh, and his uh, ability as a middle safety. How does he mesh with someone like Jaron Thompson uh, in, your, in your
2: mind? I think Jaron Thompson is pretty flexible. It sounds like they would have liked to have played him as the field safety last year, which is where he played in 2020, and they moved him to the boundary because Anthony Cook was maybe a little smaller and a little less comfortable hanging around the box that much. And so they, they gave Jaron Thompson that assignment. I think moving him back to the wider side of the field will be totally fine. He's I think he ran like a four six in high school. He's got the speed. He's got the range. Um, he's smart. He's probably the smartest, most dependable leader they have in the secondary for directing traffic. So I, I think sliding him over into Cook's position is a natural fit for him. Catalan is the guy that you want in the, in the heat of the action. He's the guy that you want to be nearer to the box. There's the injury concerns, obviously he's gotten beat up playing that way, but that's how he plays. That's what, that's what makes him great is his ability to be a sort of like a, you know, mini Bob Sanders kind of guy that can knife into the action and, and make plays on the ball on, on uh, intermediate passes and things like that. So, Very, I, Oh, go ahead. I think he'd be great in the role Jaron Thompson played last year. And I think Jaron Thompson can be great in the role Anthony Kirk played.
0: Interesting. I will right, we'll see if they flip flop him a little bit this year that or in this offseason. That'll be something to watch Jerry, uh, tying into you. You saw uh, Jalen Catalan a bunch of times in high school uh, followed his recruitment.
1: Uh, what do you think he brings to the Texas secondary that maybe is
0: absent at this point?
1: Well, I, I think it's a different level of toughness and playmaking. Um, And and look, he makes plays on the ball and coverage, too. He's a guy with, what, five, six interceptions. When he was healthy, I think he had five, uh, six in those two years. Um, So he's not just a – I just think he's such a good all-around player. I mean, he's a freshman All-American. The same thing Kelvin Banks was, to be clear. That's how good this guy was um, as a freshman. So, look, I I would argue this. If he's healthy – and playing fast, he's probably the best player on the defense. I think that's how good he is. I think that's uh, how you I mean, better is. than Jalen Ford. Who's I mean, that's, what, that's in the strong. Big Twelve. In the Big Twelve, probably, and especially if he, especially if he changes the, what you can do defensively, um, and he can, and, and he enables people to, and he enables the staff to move guys into better positions, maybe the best positions for the other guys to succeed. But I think he's going to be in position to make so many plays if he's healthy. Um, we've just seen it before. I mean, I would say his freshman year at Arkansas was better than Jalen Ford's year last year at Texas. I mean, this guy was a – there aren't many guys that are all SEC as freshmen at that position. I mean, that's a big ask for a kid. Uh, So I, I, I would argue that he's the best player on their defense if he's healthy. Yeah. I,
0: I, I, I look at it and I want to transfer now to talking a little bit about uh, Gavin Holmes as well. And he is a corner originally from Archbishop mm-hmm. Rummel in uh, the New Orleans area spent two years at Wake Forest as a starter, his a uh, freshman year. Uh, excuse me, his true freshman year. I think he actually redshirted, Uh And so yeah. his next two years, he was a starter for, for the demon Deacons. Um, and Eric, uh, reported in the Humidor, Eric Nalin, our publisher at Inside Texas, reported in the Humidor that he has been a a very light on his feet in coverage, um, and I've been told separately that he may be the fastest guy in the secondary period, um, especially at corner. Um, Ian, where do you think he kind of fits in this this grouping? Because Ryan Watts has has been the the boundary guy and. Uh, Jameson was the uh, field guy for the most part last year, but Terrence Brooks looks, looked pretty darn good in the Alamo bowl. I mean, where, where does that all shake out for you?
2: Yeah, I think they have some flexibility. He's a true press man corner. That's how Wake Forest used him. Wake Forest played uh, quarters coverages as well, just like Texas does. But um, his role in them was generally just, you know, line up outside on the left side Whoever the receiver is, there press him up, and uh, good luck out there. Kind of, kind of assignment. His stat, <laughs> his stats are pretty low, but that's actually a good sign. If you're impressed, man, that means the ball's not even heading your way. Yeah. So Texas could play him in the boundary, and uh, that frees up the boundary safety to move all over the place because he doesn't have to help as much on the corner. But if you do that, then you lose having Ryan Watts there as a, you know playing the edge against the run or blitzing the edge is, you know, a 212 pound guy. And then you take big Watson and then you have to put him somewhere else, you know, the field where he's far away from the action, the bench, where he's obviously not helpful. Um, Gary Patterson in the past would play guys like Holmes as the field corner and just leave him out there to the wide side and just be like, you know, like Wake Forest did good luck out there. They did that with, uh, Anthony Tejada, some they did that with Travis Hodges Tomlinson, um, they did that with uh, some of the other star corners they had over the yeah. Gladney, I think so. Yeah, I, I can't remember for sure. Yeah, but uh, they, they Patterson liked having a man cover guy out there. They just you know don't worry about him, and then we can gang up in the middle of the field and not worry about it. So, depending on how much influence again that Patterson has on the team next year. I could see him playing to the wide side, but he would fit in the boundary as well. So he, there's a lot of flexibility. He's a really big addition. We haven't really talked about it that much. He's he's potentially a massive addition.
1: Well, you know what I, you know what I like about getting Gavin Holmes right now? You know what he's going to hear all the way up to, until next season? Well, he's really good coverage guy, but how tough is he against the run? How tough of a guy is he? How tough physical of a player is he? I think this is a great time to get Gavin Holmes, right? I mean, you know what he can do in coverage. Ian's talked about that. But you're also getting a guy with a little bit of something to prove because people have questioned how physical he is. I think this is a perfect time to get the guy. Um, And, look, my my thought on this is, outside of the X's and O's part of it, is Jalen Catalan's healthy. Um, Catalan and Holmes makes Texas a hell of a lot better next year I I just don't think there's any question about that um and I think that makes Jaron Thompson better for some of the reasons Ian said it makes Jade bear probably more of a playmaker I, I just think this these two additions are huge um and not just what they bring but how much it's going to help the other guys in the secondary
2: and Jerry not just that not just that but how about the the tolls you don't have to pay bringing yeah. new young guys along that haven't played before. Uh, This is what we saw with, like, Kansas State and TCU last year. They plugged in transfers that had starting experience at their other schools, and they had these massively experienced older secondaries that made all the difference in in winning game after game in the Big 12.
0: I I would be remiss if I did not mention this. Uh, When you talked about uh, Gavin Holmes, Jerry, and mentioned that he was labeled soft by some, uh, but he had all this speed and he had the length. I can't help but remember a guy like Michael Huff, who had the same kind of problems early in his career and tags early in his career. And of course, Huff remains on staff, uh, the Texas staff right now. So uh, that's an interesting one to me. A couple other things I want to go over. We mentioned, uh, I want to talk defensive end today with Ian. Uh, Texas also has a big basketball game tomorrow night. Huge. Uh, (laughs) Huge. Rodney Terry uh, goes on the road in the Longhorns, go on the road to Knoxville to play the university of Tennessee and uh Rick Barnes's club, it's a big, a big game for Tennessee. Uh, Jerry, uh,
1: where, what are you thinking in that game tomorrow night for Texas? Look, I mean, Tennessee is going to be favored because it's a home game. Uh, both schools, I believe, are seventeen and three. Uh, one thing about Tennessee, and, and I'm not sitting here predicting a Texas win. I'm predicting a Tennessee win, close, because it's a road game. Um, they haven't played a ranked team in a while. If you look at their schedule. They have not played Alabama. They have not played the toughest teams in the SEC. So people talk about, well, Texas had not faced the hard part of their schedule in conference. Neither is Tennessee. Now they're beating everybody. They should. They beat Georgia by 29 the other night. Who's decent, 13 and seven, three and four. Um, I think the Big 12 is a better conference than the SEC uh, as a whole. I'm talking the whole conference, um, and and I think this is going to be Tennessee's first game against. If you consider Kentucky's like playing a ranked team talent wise, but they're not ranked. Uh, So this will be technically the first ranked team Tennessee has played in a while. And the toughest team, the most talented team they've played was Kentucky. And they lost that game in in Knoxville. So I'm not sitting here saying Texas is going to win. That crowd's going to be jacked up, right? I mean, it's a 5 PM college game day is going to be there tomorrow. I mean, so it's a big time college basketball atmosphere and it's why kids come to Texas, honestly. Uh, but I think Texas, look, for me, it's the same on the road with Texas. You know their strengths and you know their weaknesses. And the one area that people thought was a weakness really hasn't been rim protection, rebounding the ball. Now, Tennessee's got some unathletic big guys who could just win beat you up on the boards, and Rick Barnes loves those teams. But Rick Barnes plays small a lot, too, uh, with this group. Uh, so those bigs don't necessarily play heavy minutes. Uh, but it always comes down to on the road with this Texas team you got to look at what a team's makeup is and what they can do to maximize their ability and this, for this team they've really sh- they're shooting 82% from the foul line in conference play it's going to be a physical game against Rick Barnes so you got to get to the free throw line and you got to make them uh you got to make them late but if Texas goes and shoots at 35 37% from three tomorrow that's going to be a good sign in this game because Tennessee really defends well. Uh, They really defend the three-point line well. So if Texas shoots it well tomorrow and they convert at the free throw line, I think they got a really good chance to uh, pull a victory out. And this is, look, this is a huge game for Texas now because if you win it, it really sets up a tough back into your schedule and conference play. This is one, a road win against the top five ranked team, number two in all your power indexes. Uh, It it bumps you up a seat come NCAA tournament time, and it can really give you that added confidence if you win this game. And the stretch coming up after that's not easy. I mean, I would take two and two of the next four and walk away right now. Uh, But this is an opportunity for a very experienced team to go on the road and kind of answer some questions nationally right now. Uh, This is going to be what's going to be talked about on college game day. Well, Texas without Chris Beard, Rodney Terry Inter, There, so many things are set up. If Texas goes out and wins the game, they get to check a big box for this group. Jerry, prior to coming on this uh, this uh, broadcast, uh, you, me, and Ian were talking. What is
0: Rodney Terry's record as a head coach at Texas right now? I believe he's ten and two. That's pretty strong. I mean, they're seventeen and three overall. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the early schedule were cupcakes. I mean, you know, you you can say what you want, but he's doing a pretty darn good job right now. And and the more he wins games like tomorrow night and keeps them in, in big 12 play at the top of the heap, which is where they're at right now, the more likely he gets that job uh, and keeps recruits like Ronald Holland
1: and AJ Johnson going as well as some of the guys already on campus right now. I've said this, uh, if, if Texas gets 11 and seven, 12 and six in this conference, which probably means you win 23 games, twenty two 23 regular season games, you maintained a top 15 ranking. you have probably a three-seed team, maybe the first four-seed team. He's done a lot. I don't care how many super seniors you have. I How many times can you recall this situation happening during a basketball season at the college level? It's not very often that kids have to go through what they've gone through. Uh, if he does that, then the question comes down to, does he have to win one game or two games in the tournament? I mean, does he have to make a Sweet 16 run, or if he wins a game, is that enough? Considering he was really key in all these kids coming to Texas. I mean, like you said, Ron Hall and AJ Johnson. I mean, he's got te- he had Texas right there on some other guys, and I think they were about to He was helping. Uh, big time, that they're about to win some recruitments. He had Texas right there with Trey Johnson when all this went down, number one player in the country. It was not a foregone conclusion Trey Johnson was going to Baylor. That I can tell you without telling you more on this that I can't say, but um, at what point has he done enough? It's where a former Texas player said steals the job. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. I'd say earn it, steal it, whichever way you want, because he said steal the job because so many people want this job that hasn't been talked about right now.
0: All right. Uh, with that, Matt, I need to talk to our producer. Matt, uh, go ahead and put up the last stand hats. We're going to do our trivia question since it's a big game on Saturday. Uh, uh, we are going to have our weekly trivia question. So if you get this right, the first person to mention the correct answer in the comments uh, will get a free hat from Last Stand Hats. Uh, we are The Trivia Challenge is sponsored by our LastStandHats.com. You can go there, use the promo code Bobby10 for 10% off your entire purchase. So Bobby10 for 10% off your entire purchase at LastStandHats.com. Okay, here it is. And Jerry, neither Jerry nor Ian Boyd got this. Uh, Who is the Longhorn basketball team's, not the current one, but forever, all-time leading scorer? Who is Texas basketball's? all-time leading score. Give it a couple minutes here. Jerry and Ian, you guys are slightly different age groups. Jerry and I are closer in age. Ian, you grew up in the in the two, you were at, at Texas, I think, in the late 90s, 2000s. Who were you thinking might win this?
2: Oh, you're going to make, <laughs> <laughs> I gave an embarrassing answer. I uh, I was just trying to think of guys that had started enough years to get up there so i guess chris mem which uh nobody guessed chris mem because it's not it's not at all correct
1: <laughs> jerry what about you bud yeah i mean i was thinking i was thinking kind of way back you know when when guys stayed all four years and were dominant players in the program um so i missed it on that uh, accord i don't want to say who i said i don't want to take anybody's guesses away <laughs> well um, we've got a winner and it's Brandon Offerman.
0: There you go. Congratulations, Brandon. It's T- Terrence Rinscher. Uh, Matt, will you put up those uh, stats from uh, UT's all-time leading scores, just so people can get a look? Uh, it's very interesting to me. Terrence Rencher finishes first. Travis May second. AJ
1: Abrams third. That's the one that I don't think anybody. I didn't guess that one. I mean, we started talking about. It, I said it has to be Rincer May's after you and I start. All the three of us start talking about it, and then Reggie Freeman. the 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 Pender's days. I don't. I'm not sure how many people would have thought AJ Abrams was third. All he did was shoot threes. <laughs> they, they add up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they
0: do add up. But here, here's what was interesting: three out of the top four, somewhat unsurprisingly, came during the Tom Pender's era. Yeah. yeah. And uh to be honest with you, Travis's May's first year was without um Tom Pender's. Yeah. He did not have that. He was playing under Bob Waltlick, and it was a. It was not a running gun. I'll just put it that way.
2: Hey, hey, Bobby, how far do you have to get down to see Brandon Mouton?
0: I I don't think he's on the top ten, so I don't know. What do we got here? Damian
1: James. He played a lot of years. I was going to go the Ron Baxter era. Jim, yeah, I was going that era, but that was way off. Well, Baxter.
0: Baxter helped Texas to the NIT title. There's Uh, only national title thus far in basketball. Joey Wright, Andrew Jones. Uh, gr- recent graduate of the University of Texas. And then Chris Clack, Austin Anderson guy. Uh, there as well. All right, that's been the uh, trivia question. Once again, thank you to laststandhats.com. Uh, the great thing about Last Stand Hats, they don't have the typical hats. They have the unique ones. They have got, you know, the Texas flag. They've got one I really like with the logo, uh, the Longhorn uh, Hook'em logo on it. Uh, go check it out and use the promo code Bobby10 for 10% off. Uh, all right. Ian, back to you a little bit and talking. I, remember, I just
2: looked it up. Mouton scored 1,582. So he's 11th. Yeah, he might be 11th, yeah. But I didn't guess yeah. him either, so I don't know. Hey, and let's
1: blame TJ Ford. If TJ would have stayed one more season, Mouton would have been about 2,000 probably. <laughs> yeah. Those are easy buckets.
0: <laughs> hey, um, question for you, you Ian. Uh, explain what Eric... Uh, Nalene was getting into uh, today, in today's Humidor, talking about Jere Bledsoe and Jamon Tapp and Baron Sorel, Justice Finkley, and uh, Ethan Burke, and how all of those guys mix and match and, and what 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 that whole discussion was really about. Because I think it's it'll be interesting if you can articulate it better than I can, because I'm having problems with it. Go for it.
2: Yeah, so I, just as a starting point for all the listeners, Texas has two positions that are like edge defensive end positions. The Jack is the strong side guy. He's lined to the field. The Buck is the weak side guy. He stays in the boundary. Um, you want your Jack to be good against the run so that teams can't easily get the ball out in space when they run the ball. Your Buck, you want him to be like kind of your premier pass rusher. Last year, at the strong side position, Texas played Baron Sorrell as the starter, and they backed him up with freshman Justice Finkley. Finkley struggled there. He didn't play a lot, so Sorrell had to play most of the games. Finkley was a little smaller. He's not very long. He's athletic, and he has a good motor, but that was just a tough, it was a tough gig for him. Um, the talk of the offseason, and I think Jerry mentioned this as a possibility on the show a few weeks ago is that Jeray Bledsoe, who was recruited as kind of a nebulous, big athletic defensive lineman, may be able to play as a strong side end and as a jack behind Baron Sorrell. If he's ready to do that, then you have better depth and better size at that position. And you Mm -hmm. can also move what was probably your second best returning edge in Justice Finkley. You can move him over to the weak side where he becomes potentially your uh, favorite to start, and so instead of relying on a big leap from Jamon Tap or Ethan Burke to go from barely playing to starting at this premier pass rushing position, if Bledsoe emerges enough, they could get Finkley comfortable over there. And I think the leap for Finkley from being a to, to being a worthy starting buck is smaller than it would be for. Uh, Tap or Burke, if this makes sense. So basically, just they're they're filling out the depth chart. They're they're filling out the two deep in a way that may that may work pretty well, where they can actually get better and deeper at edge next season, without having to thrust a super unprepared young guy in there. Because Finkley he he got a fair number of snaps last year, so it's just not as big of a leap for him.
0: Right. It's almost like he he was being groomed, right? To, to be one of the guys, but you're saying he's flipping sides now. He's yeah. going to play the the weak, weak sides. The, the buck side is what you're talking about, traditional weak side, right?
2: Yeah, weak side is great. I think yep. that that's a good way to understand it. So, okay. so
1: we, we all think Vosik's going to play strong.
2: Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about next year, right? But yeah. I think he's a great – People got to realize, I mean,
0: these, these guys – I mean, as good as a Jere Bledsoe and athletic as he is, and Justice Finkley even as good as they are coming in, physically, I mean, the standing up in the run game at the college level is just fundamentally different than anything they've seen in in, in high school football. Jerry, we talked a lot about Jare Bledsoe just just now. 6'4, 255, right? And he's just now getting into a strength program where, and I'm not saying anything negative about Marland or Bremond where he played, but it's just, it's just categorically different from nutrition to everything else. But if he can make that next step, he could be a special player for Texas.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I, I'll i go back to this. The, the two things with uh, Bledsoe. He was at Bremond the first time I went and saw him. I, I, I saw it, it was, his recruitment was so interesting because He was at Marlin, transferred to on his junior year, and the coach's son actually put his highlights on the huddle on uh, Bledsoe's Twitter. Nobody knew who the kid was, period. And then Oklahoma State offered him, and I think Oklahoma offered him. I said, hold on. And so I went up there to see the kid, and there was basketball season, and he was dunking the ball about any way you wanted. He wasn't like Darren Gillette, don't get me wrong. But for a big kid who was probably 270 at the time – he was well above the rim, dunking it just about any way you wanted it. And it was easy to see then why Ed Orgeron, really good defensive line evaluator, offered him. Nick Saban came in and offered him. I mean, he had offers. That's the two parts of this. Athletically, not many peers frame with that frame. Two, some of your guys who have developed, produced, developed some really good defensive linemen, both offered him out of the SEC. And they tried to get him on campus, but he was not going far from home. Uh, so that's two parts this. yes, he can be a big-time player. He's flashed that. Um, I think the most the most interesting thing about Jure for me is, you know, something Nathan O'Neal said. Uh, and, look, standing up against the run is going to be number one. But what Nathan said to me and or- us in Orlando was so big. He said, people have no idea how long it actually takes these guys to develop pass rush moves. He said, it takes a long time and a lot of work. He said, setting up your first quarter, your second quarter, your third quarter, your fourth quarter. He said, and actually understanding how to be a pass rusher and setting up your game, having a plan, and, and, and executing your plan. It's not just going out there and rushing the passer. So that's how far Jure has. His best football is so far in front of him, I don't think any of us even can comprehend how far out in front of him it is. It's probably at the NFL level if he makes it. It reminds me
0: athletically, Jerry – um at almost at the same age of a, he's a more athletic Hassan Ridgeway. Yeah. Who just kept, always had a ton of potential and just kept growing until he became, I think his last year at Texas, a really good football player and he's been in the NFL for quite some time now.
1: And he reminds me of LeBron Ray, who we had in the Under Armour game frame wise and LeBron Ray, I believe is in the NFL. Now he was drafted out of Alabama, but it took LeBron Ray, even though he's ranked top 50 in the country, it took him a little while for that to kind of show at Alabama. Of course, he was playing against behind first and second round picks, but it still takes time to develop.
0: I want to say something uh, real quick. Thank you to uh, Jerry Hamilton and Ian Boyd uh, joining me here on on Texas Football live stream on Friday. Uh, each and every Friday, we're here at one o'clock. Uh, it is sponsored by uh, Andy Ludicky of my myper- Perfectfranchise.net. If you're looking for a new start to the new year, uh, give Andy Ludicky a, a shout at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, he has a process whereby he fits you up with a business, if you're interested in trying to own your own business, uh, that will work for you. He gives you an, uh, basically an interview, uh, takes you through this step-by-step process of seeing what fits your goals, both financially and time-wise, and is able to really put something together for you. It's got a, It's a cool process. I did it myself, Andy, at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Um, Going on a little bit further about what we've talked about, uh, Ian and Jerry, I'm just thinking here of really, we've talked also about Warren Roberson Mm. and and these guys that they're bringing in. The only other safety prospect they brought in other than Jalen Catalan is Derek Williams. And Derek Williams is uh, is not an early enrollee. Warren Roberson would not be an early enrollee. The other, only other cornerback uh, besides uh, Gavin Holmes they brought in is Malik Muhammad. Who's on campus. Who's already on campus. My point in saying all of this is, what does that too deep look like for Texas right now? In your eyes, if you're including guys like Williams and even potentially Roberson, I mean, where is B.J. Allen in all this? Where's Austin yeah. Jordan? Jalen Gilba who's out for the spring. Yeah, that's another. Good, that I almost think he's the backup nickel, right? Is that the that the the, the thinking along that, those lines?
2: I, if I took a stab at the two deep right now, I would probably go um, boundary, Catalan, and then Taff, free safety Jaron, and then Keaton Crawford, and then there's the young guys that could potentially spoil that the order I just laid out. But I think that, that would be the chalk heading in. And then star would be, uh, you know, with Gilbo out, maybe they should get Brooks there a look there now, especially with the depth they have at corner. Whoever they think the least likely corner is of, uh, Muhammad, um, Brooks, and Jordan should be the backup nickel. I would think in 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 spring camp.
1: Because so Gilbo's he, not there, I, I kind of see Jordan getting a look there, but that's just me. I I think Brooks is. Muhammad's definitely not moving off a corner for me. No chance. Interesting. All right. Uh,
0: we'll get it going. We're going to be taking everybody's questions here. Uh, so please, if you have any questions coming in, uh, like we always do, we, first 15, 30 minutes on a Friday, we always try to talk about uh, things that we need to talk about. Chris Jackson, we haven't talked about that yet. He's the new wide receivers uh, coach for the Longhorns. Uh, the Longhorns added a new offensive analyst, by the way, uh, Jerry Uh, We need to talk about that. Uh, You know him a little bit from his time, I think, uh, around the the state of Texas high school ranks. Uh, And then also, uh, you know, just anything and everything you guys want to talk with, uh, including recruiting. So, Jerry, I'm going to start with this for you uh, from John Adams, which is of greater importance in Deuce Robinson's recruitment. Deuce is the uh, tight end prospect, nation's number one prospect out of Phoenix, the Phoenix area. Uh, What is more important, the ability to play baseball and football simultaneously? or NIL, if it's the former, then Texas is the choice without question. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I just, I, I don't think it's that easy as from an NIL perspective. I think he's a five-star prospect. He, he He's going to do fine <laughs> wherever he goes. Um, I, I think it's, it's comes down to probably football one, a baseball one B. And uh, as the kid told me uh, in Orlando at Under Armour check-in, it's, you know, this, he's going to be most comfortable with who marries those two together the best. But that doesn't mean if he goes to Georgia that Texas didn't do a great job with that um, or even marry that together better. Uh, Look, Georgia is a, for a tight end, I mean, it's hard to beat them. I mean, they're in the best program in college football and they have the, they have the first team all American tight end. They have two guys who are going to be projected to be first round picks next year at tight end Two, Darnell Washington, even though he's more of the inline guy but they're going to have two first-round picks at tight end next year. That's a tough argument for anybody right now when the best program in the country has two first-rounders at tight end. Um, So the whole key here with this recruitment, if he shows up at Georgia's campus this weekend, good luck to USC or Texas.
2: They they use Brock Bowers like a receiver, basically. They got got, got, that guy getting reverses and stuff. So Sark is going to want him ideally to learn – pass protection and run blocking uh it, it would be a better sell for him in terms of developing for the NFL but it's a pretty bad sell if you got to play baseball too here
0: you know one thing I, I think that people don't always keep in mind too there's still the opportunity he could he could play uh college football and pro baseball right that that still actually does work for for some oh. guys and some teams willing uh, to go
1: that uh, piece uh, here's a question oh, for yeah, I, ian, ian may not know this if he hadn't been on the show and we talked about this so ian he is he's not even playing high school baseball this year he's just doing all the draft uh workouts for draft for for the scouts um so he's not even playing high school baseball it's all MLB driven now there could be a number of reasons for that but that is the plan right now uh this next piece guys is totally talking- me. i know he's talented but
2: That's not what I want to hear from my tight end.
1: I totally agree, by the way. (laughs) Totally agree.
0: Hey, you get talent on campus and figure out where they really belong. Yeah, Yeah. You're not going to turn down Ricky Williams because he wanted to play pro baseball. Right. I mean, let's let's figure out where he really belongs. All right. um, This is from Matt Schroeder, and I think it has to do more. This (laughs) is more a question uh, about Warren Roberson, I think, uh, because he's ranked in the 270s or 280s, something like that, 260s. Uh, with most people signing during December, if you are say around recruit number two hundred and fifty, would you drive up your price nil by waiting until February? My thought process on that is no, and I'll tell you why. It, your nil price if you're two hundred and fifty to three hundred is not. I mean, look, that's for the top fifty to hundred guys in the country for the most part. To really get aggressive, right? Anything after that, it's
1: it's just not in the same. Uh, ballpark that's game. my take on it jerry yeah. you, you and have and into that head. i totally agree in the premium position guys are signing early bottom line
0: yeah, yeah. so the receipt, the
1: guys that are score touchdowns and defensive linemen and offensive tackles and defensive linemen yeah I
2: would and- wait I would wait if I were a defensive tackle or if I were like an offensive lineman because how many because you don't want to restrict your choices right that's the big risk is you take some of the big money programs off the table. But if you're one of those high demand positions where everybody looks at their class and they're like, well, crap, we don't have a tackle or we don't, you know, on either side of the ball, then you're going to have enough suitors where you could potentially drive up the, the market price. Like Moro Oshima, remember, he waited until his second signing day and he had everyone around the country was chasing him.
1: Alabama, Miami, everybody. Now, the other point, though, is here's the other point to that. Over about half these classes now are early enrollees or sometimes more. So if you look at Texas, uh, the 14 guys they have early, it's all it's a lot of its premium position guys um, coming in early. So I think we've reached the point where and that factors in the NIL. The earlier you get on campus, the earlier you start collecting.
2: I, yeah. But if you're like a, if you're like a 3-star, right. you're not going to have the big initial Yeah, yeah so. no question. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, Jerry. Uh, question for you. Uh, I'm going to need a Ron Holland update for
1: my sanity. This from Brazar Ten. <laughs> uh, look, Ron Holland. I was at Duncanville. I can't remember three weeks ago. At this point, is all running together. I talked to multiple people in that basketball gym, and they all said Ron wants to be at Texas. It's just got to work out. Um, does that mean Rodney Terry's the head coach, or if the if a Another head coach is hired. Rodney Terry is as the associate head coach. If he would stay in that role, I think either way that works. Um, I think the tough part with the tech with Texas now it, basketball is when all this went down, there was chatter. Well, Rodney would be, could be stay on as the associate head coach with whoever's hired, and everything will be fine. Rodney's earning a Power Five basketball job right now. He is not going to turn down some two and a million, $3 million a year job to stay on as associate head coach at Texas. Actually, if he did, I would shake him, honestly. I would say, what are we doing here? You can't do this. You've earned a, a, a nice paycheck and a great opportunity uh, that you worked 30 years in this business to have at Fresno State and UTEP. He's going to have that opportunity now. So, uh, and I'm not saying for sure a power five, but a really good mid-major. I mean, he's, he's fast-tracking himself uh, right now with how Texas has played and the way he's handled all of this um, because that's a tough position too. So as far as Ron Holland, Ron wants to be at Texas. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens. His family wanted him close. Nothing has changed. Um, the one thing I was told at Duncanville that day was Ron didn't really like Fayetteville. So anybody just thinking, oh, he's automatically going to go to Arkansas. I'm not sure that's the case. Ron wants to be at Texas for a lot of reasons, and we'll see uh, how it works out. But that's that's the best I can give Texas fans right now. And the family's always wanted them close. They want them at Texas. Now we're going to have to see where everything kind of works its way, works out here in the next two or three months.
0: All right, this is both for you and uh, Ian, Jerry, uh, from David Williams. Most reports have stated Jelani McDonald, the Waco uh yeah. do-it-all guy, was recruited to play linebacker. But as good as his coverage skills are, as well as a superior athleticism, I think he should be competing
2: at safety. What do you two guys think? Ian, you want to go first? I have not, I have not seen a lot of him in coverage. I know that he was playing like man or something at the camp. So I, I haven't seen enough of that to comment on I, I guess I'd be curious to see that. And then maybe star, which is kind of like a safety position could be in the, in the realm of possibilities. If he's a, uh, if you really can hang out there.
1: Look, look, yeah, the way I look at it is stars, the option, um, before linebacker, but here's where I, where I'm going to be fascinated with this class is Jelani McDonald and Derek Williams aren't dissimilar, but, and I say that because, and I'm not saying Jelani's going to stay at safety. There's a point that when I, or or play safe, there's a point where I'm going with this. Um, the new Iberia staff thinks Derek Williams is going to be 6'3", 215, 220 one day. We've mentioned on the show the mom's six-foot, dad's 6'6". Six six. He's going to grow. If Jelani McDonald ends up 6'3", 215 and could play star, and Derek Williams ends up 6'3", 215 and as a safety, Texas suddenly has a lot of SEC size and athleticism in the secondary, at the safety spot and the star spot. So I'm fascinated to see how it all works out. I. I would say this, if Warren Roberson flips to Texas, with Warren Roberson, Derek Williams coming in, I mean, it, it, it's tougher to see Jelani McDonald stay long-term at safety for me or in the secondary for me. Um, but he's got he's got a frame to carry 230 pounds in time. But, man, if he was 215 and could play star and Derek Williams 215 and play safety, you suddenly have the look of an SEC uh, defense. Uh, we've got a couple more questions here coming in. Uh, Ian, I want to ask you this.
0: Um, of the guys that are the early enrollees at Texas, what are you most looking for uh, right out of the gate here in, in the spring? Is there a guy or two you're wanting to see right away and see really how they they perform out of the gate?
2: Whether or not Anthony Hill can be the starting wheel is number one, right? And Jerry is on the same page, I can tell. <laughs> um, uh also, you know, Leonga LaFau, how close he is to being at least in the two deep. My sense of their film was that uh, LaFau is actually pretty advanced in coverage, but I think playing a college run game is going to be quite an adjustment for him. Not because, I mean, he's not huge, but also he looked like he had a bit of a wait-and-see approach at linebacker to the run game, and you got you to gotta get to your spots quick or you're going to get run over. Um, and then Hill, I think, is a little more experienced there, but he's got to show it at this level. And then he's got to show that he's not, you know, a sieve in coverage that doesn't even know where to find a crossing pattern, you know, things like that. So they don't have to have it figured out this spring, but they need to show that it's within their grasp for the coming season. I think that's got to be number one. I, I don't know if anything else is even close to that, really. Cedric guess, Baxter.
1: Cedric Baxter's one. Yeah, morning. yeah.
2: Baxter. Yeah, go yeah. ahead.
1: Um. Yeah.
0: A question. About yeah. No. This is this is a good conversation topic. We were actually talking about linebackers. It reminds me of a conversation we were having on uh, the message board yesterday on InsideTexas.com, and we were talking about what is the Mount Rushmore of Big Twelve linebackers.
2: Yeah. You,
0: you and I were going at that a little bit, Ian. Uh, you you gave some guys, uh, but and we we talked about it because Malcolm Rodriguez, uh, out of Oklahoma State was just named an all-rookie to the all-rookie team for the Detroit Lions. He's a sixth-round pick. But anybody that watched him play at Oklahoma State, like he was like their Brock Cunningham for football, basically. He was like their glue that tied the back end to the front end together. And um anyways, long story short, uh what was your Mount Rushmore for linebackers in the Big 12?
2: Was I, it was really hard for me. I just threw out some names that I would, I think you I think you look at Derek Johnson for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Derek Johnson would probably be great today as he was yesterday. Um, Rocky Kalmus and Teddy Lehman from Oklahoma are also like that. I think they would also still be good if they played today, even though it's a lot harder. I think you have to look at Malcolm Rodriguez because in the last like twelve years since the spread took over the big twelve completely, it's been really hard to find difference-making mm-hmm. linebackers, and that's partly because the position got so freaking hard. Um, I would consider debt win as well.
1: 100%.
2: I don't know how he translates to today, but he certainly was extremely good for his time. Um, Jerry, did you have anybody, or, or uh, Bobby, did you have anybody that I didn't just mention?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I did. Um, I'm trying to find out whether or not, and this is my question when did when did the big 12 start because i've got an obvious one
1: 97
0: 96 97 96 yep. yeah so zach thomas just missed it
1: <laughs> the, the the miami Dolphins. well you know you had, had all those
0: K-State. you had all those rugged k-state guys i been i mark semino was the guy yeah out of that group he was i thought he was by far their best linebacker uh the other one was levante david uh yeah. Nebraska, yeah. three-time all big 12 yeah. guy had a very long career
1: in the nfl uh now i thought well, guys- I'll, I'll throw another one out demorio williams at nebraska yeah he's a run and hit guy he probably would have fit pretty perfectly in the big 12 hey i want to throw this out for malcolm rodriguez though while we're talking about it okay this is how good of a player he actually is a football player 30 and an eight inch arms very short for a linebacker in the NFL. 5'11", obviously. But he ran 4'5", 4'1", shuttle, and a 7-flat L-cone. I mean, he he makes up for short arms with off-the-charts otherwise.
2: <laughs> He's also uh, – there's something that Texas never gets. He was a wrestler in high school. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Oklahoma has an edge on Texas sometimes in that Texas kids run track in the offseason. Uh, yeah track makes you a little faster, but there's some football things you get out of wrestling that Texas kids don't have.
1: Uh, yeah. Leverage. Gonna <laughs> gonna
0: going to talk uh, a couple more questions, taking your questions right now on the live stream uh, with Jerry Hamilton and Ian Boyd. I'm Bobby Burton. Uh, I want to say thank you to Andy Ludeke, Uh stuck in the corporate rat race with two weeks PTO and no control over the money you can make or your schedule in general. Call Andy. He will take you through a process to help find a business that will fit your skill sets and financial goals. Franchise ownership isn't for everyone, but if you have a desire to take control of your destiny, call Andy or email him at andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Get some more questions here going. Uh, Let's start with this one for you, Jerry. Texas still in on Jacoby Lane
1: for signing day number two, the wide receiver out of the Phoenix area. Yeah, I'd be surprised on that. I think he's such a late qualifier academically um, that w- we'll see. I've not heard that, but I should double check on that, honestly.
0: Okay. Another one for you, Jerry. How many spots do they have left? In Do they have, excuse me, not left, from Mark Leopard. How many spots do they have in the 2024 class? What is the, the round
1: number that we're working with today, not necessarily long term? I mean, I'm starting at 25. We'll see what happens, right? I mean, it's hard to put a number on this nowadays because the portal, uh, kids transferring in and out. Um, who could go early in the draft at Texas next year? You know, you figured the tight end could be one, right? Uh, if Jonathan Brooks has an 1,100, 1,200-yard season, he should probably take a look, long look at it at running back. I mean, so – um obviously Xavier Worthy's probably off to the NFL after next year if he has a good season which we need to talk about Chris Jackson in a second uh so I start at 25 and we'll see what happens from there all right let's talk about Chris Jackson and let's start with you Ian because I want to I want to
0: go to you first because uh you know Texas receivers did they improve over the year or was it a more of a function of just not having that third guy because Brendan Marion uh You know, get some grief from Texas fans because a lot of them felt like Xavier Worthy regressed and nobody else stepped up. Jordan Whittington had a good year um, and was healthy the whole year for the first time. What is your take on the receiver coaching position um, and how Brendan Marion did in hindsight and what you're looking for from Chris Jackson now?
2: I think I would blame... Honestly, a lot of it on just how the offense kind of dried up as Quinn Ewers at the freshman wall and he had to play games where he didn't get a month to prepare for the opponent. I think that made a big difference. Teams figured out how to confuse him uh, through a gazillion incompletions. He was just throwing the ball away, he didn't know where to go with it, didn't want to turn it over to his credit. He didn't very often. So uh, I don't know that we got the complete look at what the receivers are capable of. Were the Definitely did not make the most of this season. You kind of wonder if he was like, you know, I got one more year. This guy, Nayor, is getting all the targets in the offseason. And then at the last minute, you know, he's the guy. And I don't know if he was ready for that. So maybe ding worthy a little bit. You could you could lay some of that at Marion's feet, I suppose. I, I don't know the dynamics of that room. Um, but I, the buck stops with him to some extent. I am interested in that I was watching the Jaguars in the playoffs and they have a very spready progression-based passing game, which was a little closer to what Texas looked like in the Alamo bowl. And so I'm intrigued by his fit with Texas. If they're going to go more three or four wide and throw the ball around a lot more and execute, you know, NFL route patterns and, and option routes and things like that. He's, I mean, that's what he's been teaching. So I, I like the fit there for if Texas makes that pivot. Brennan Marion was more of like a option, um, option guy, play action guy. They they were actually pretty pro-style at pit. So I, I don't know that Brennan Marion doesn't know how to, to- coach that stuff, because they did it effectively at Pitt. But for sure, Jackson is a good fit for if they just wanna. Throw the ball thirty-five times a game with Quinn Ewers to uh, spread field. That, that's what he's been doing with Trevor Lawrence. So you kind of like that fit,
1: Jerry. What are your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think. Uh, look, I I spoke with somebody that would absolutely know this morning. As it turns out, um, wasn't because of this, but he thinks the guy's going to do great in the room with kids because he just came out of coaching the NFL. He's done NFL draft prep before he got into coaching. Um, he, he thinks it was a tremendous hire from a teaching, coaching, communication, and I, I, controlling a room. People make fun of that, but it is part of it, um, especially when you have a lot of highly recruited guys. Um, and I'm not calling them divas, but highly recruited guys that are corners and receivers are similar, right? Um, but I think he's coming in. I I said this the other day, Bob, we were talking about, I think Chris Jackson's coming in at the perfect time. Yeah. I mean, this is a really great opportunity for him. He's coming in when Quinn Ewers is a sophomore before Arch Manning takes the field. Xavier Worthy's in his, his contract year. Whittington's a senior. Nayor coming off injury. Adonai Mitchell's in his NFL year. Let's be real. If he has a good year, he's gone. Um, Savion Red, Brennan Thompson could make big jumps in year two. Jonte Cook's a talented freshman. Um, and then uh, uh, DeAndre Moore is already on campus. He's coming into a much healthier wide receiver room than any previous coach in Texas has in a while. And he's coming in with a really talented quarterback going into year two with a second-round picket tied in. He's coming in at a great time to look really good. And if, he's, if he was looking ahead, he's that smart looking ahead, tip of the hat, man.
0: I, I will say this much. You can talk a lot about Sark, but he's remade the wide receiver room and the quarterback room. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that, there is no doubt other uh, – and I guess the offensive line room too, huh? I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's probably uh,
1: as impressive as anything. Just, I, I mean, uh, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but let's just think about this because we do know – we all know talent and what it looks like. Xavier Worthy's an NFL player if he can uh, – Xavier Worthy right now is a draft pick. If he elevates his game, he's probably a second-round pick. He's not going to be a first-round pick because he doesn't track the ball well enough. You didn't know that coming out of high school. He's going to test well. He's going to do all those things. Isaiah Naylor, if he comes back, is probably going to be, be in an NFL camp. Mitchell is going to be in an NFL camp. Jonte Cook's got that ability. Um, and I'm not discounting the other guys. But you start right there, and he's this guy's walking into a program that has four pro-level talents at wide receiver. And none of them – Worthy's caught a lot of touchdowns, but I still think he was maybe the biggest disappointment last year on the team. And I I was part of ranking him a five-star, so don't get me wrong. I love Worthy's talent. He's coming in at a a time where he can literally look like the hero a little bit. I mean, let's be real. I mean, if he gets all these guys on the same page and it's not about targets and it's not about threatening to walk out the door for NIL possibilities, he could get these guys to buy in with his resume – he has a chance to look tremendous next year.
2: Kind of, um, like when, uh, kind of like when Herman picked a spot at Houston and got to coach a uh, ready-made Greg Ward Jr., right, yeah. while yeah. Texas was flailing up, yeah. up, up the highway. I mean, look when Urban Meyer took jobs. I mean, yeah. it was
1: all perfect timing. Yeah. I mean, so much of this stuff is timing. And he's he comes in at a perfect time, Sarks in year three, like you said, the quarterback room's really healthy. No matter what people think of Quinn Ewers, he's an NFL draft pick. So he's coming in at a great offensive line, young, talented offensive line in year two, uh, all, all those guys back. This guy couldn't be coming into the program at a better time. J, JT Sanders we didn't even mention. Yeah. I mean, you know, only
0: thing they lose next year on offense is running back. We've talked yeah. about that. And I think they're getting healthy on defense as well with more depth. Uh, to um, um, upon them, um, I want to say thank you. That's that's going to be it for today. I want to say thank you to Andy Ludicky, our sponsor at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Last Dan hats—they sponsored the trivia challenge. It's our second one this year. Uh, thanks, to those guys. And Brandon Offerman, congratulations for winning that. Terrence Rencher was the qu- correct
1: answer uh, for Eric. By, by the way, by the way, anybody know where Terrence Rinchard at now? Who's paying attention this week? Where is he at now? Assistant coach at Oklahoma State. Is he really? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, um, that, well, that's the other thing about the Texas-Tennessee game before we go. Rick Barnes, head coach, Rodney Terry Ogden, were all on his bench at Texas as assistant coaches. So it's a it's a big old family reunion of sorts uh, Saturday in Knoxville. Well, hopefully Rick Barnes does his, his, uh,
0: his mentee a favor and <laughs> the Longhorns come out with a victory against the Volunteers. All right, for Ian – Jerry, I'm Bobby Burton. This has been Friday's live stream. Thanks, guys. Hook them.